Welcome to episode four of As Men Thinketh. In this episode, I sit down with my brother, David Nielsen, and we discuss, well, typical stuff of conversations that uh, siblings would have. We discussed being fathers, different actions that we can do to get better, and overall life, some lessons learned, and some experiences that have had impacts in our life. If you got anything good out of this episode, or you enjoy our ramblings and mumblings sometimes, feel free to give it a rating and review. Maybe uh, share it with your family and friends. We appreciate it. And as always, thank you for spending an hour of your time listening to us. And uh, I hope you enjoy. What was it like being the oldest of the family? Um, well, because you kind of you kind of broke down, <laughs> pop a little bit. The twitters the twitters did a lot too, but <laughs> I'm a middle child, so I always felt a lot of responsibility to be. The example, I would say that's probably the biggest thing is I felt like there was, you know, I was 10 when you were born. I remember, Mm -hmm. and I had pink eye the day you were born. It was, it was a big deal, but, uh, but I just remember feeling like there was all these younger siblings and, and looking at other people's families and how the oldest kind of set the tone it was a lot of responsibility for me to make sure that I was being as good an example as I could be. And uh, that being said, doesn't mean everything was perfect, but that was how it felt. And also being older, I got to see the parents in a different light than probably anybody else. So I watched them. I watched them struggle when we were little with finances and, and a lot more. Um, of those kind of things when, you know, they were learning too. Uh, you know, I was thinking about Pop was, he was learning, he learned a lot with me. And I watched how he dealt with the younger kids and it was totally different. But, uh, in listening to some of your other podcasts, there was a lot of talk about the moms and stuff. And I thought, well, if I ever go in there, I want to talk about Pop. Because I watched him really struggle and give a lot for for the family. And I know he didn't do his best all the time. Like, he didn't do perfect, but I felt like he did his best. And I had my struggles with him when I was, you know, a young teenager. Because... He was who doesn't right. He was old. He was he was uh, you know interested in different things and that. But but there was one incident that I could say that really solidified my relationship with him. And I was fourteen, and I was a pig. My room was an absolute disaster. And he came and. Uh, and he got a hold of me one time and he said, okay, I'm going for a couple hours. I got some business to take care of. And it was in the evening. And he says, when I come back, I want your room cleaned. Like this is, we're done with this. We're not putting up with this anymore. And I knew when he meant business. So I was like, all right. So I went out and started doing it. And then uh, mother came in and she was totally overwhelmed with the kids. And the kitchen was a disaster. And so she asked me to come help. So I went up to the kitchen and I I uh, helped her do all the dishes, washed them off the floors, do everything. But it took the whole time. 
And so as soon as I was done, I booked it back out there and just started mad dash cleaning before he got home. Well, what I didn't know is before I got to my room, he had already come home, popped in there and looked at it, seeing that it was in exactly the same state as he left. And then he went up to change into his night clothes or whatever. And then I went out and started cleaning. So then he comes down and I'm in there cleaning and he is ticked and he just got after me like, like, like I was seven again. I mean, I, he was really upset and, uh, I was feeling pretty, you know, pretty sad, pretty beat up. Uh, like it, you know, he didn't punch me or anything. I mean, but like it was a verbal attack and, uh, and then I imagine, based off the conversations with mother, what happened next. He goes out of my room. And the way the house was is my room was all the way in the corner. So then he walks in the house and goes into the kitchen. And then my mother begins to tell him about what I did. And the most amazing part to me is that he came back. Tears in his eyes apologized pretty tough deal uh from where i am now to go to your 14 year old boy and apologize Mm. and but i can mark my relationship with him to that moment starting like this mature relationship that i have with him now started then because i realized he was willing to own up to his mistakes and i think that my relationship with my kids is fundamental to that experience as well because I want them to know that I am not perfect. I I make mistakes. I have apologized because that's a tough thing. You're I mean I don't know it's a little different in today's world but when I was growing up dads didn't apologize. Like they were right and you were supposed to fix your problem. And when a person that you you know, you look up to most of your life and then they admit they're wrong. It just, it made him feel like someone I could trust. That's probably the best way. And, uh, it, like I say, completely changed my, my relationship with him. And I started working with him after that every day. Uh, I take my school cause I was doing online. So I'd take my school with me and do some stuff while we drove, but he would just talk and he talked a lot about finances and especially the negative effects of credit card debt. That was a big deal because that's what he was struggling with. Mm-hmm. And it put a fear of credit cards into me that I still struggle with today. Like I don't, I'm scared to death to use a credit card because I don't want to end up with $40,000 in debt that I can't pay back. Yeah. Hold on one second. Isn't it kind of interesting how you can, like, one action, like, you can pinpoint it down to an exact moment where you go, oh, that made all the difference. And especially when it comes from a place of humility to come back and be like, hey, I was wrong. When you're looking at somebody who's your superior, can do no wrong. When, uh, uh, I was at this conference this last weekend. And I was listening to Jordan Peterson talk, and that was one of the things that he was explaining to people around that your kids need to see you fight, but more importantly, they need to see you make up and they need to see you apologize and see that you're human because it gives them a reference of how they should act in life. So that's just, it's kind of interesting because that's what reminded me of just, you know, that, that little, it's, it's just strange because it's like that one action can set somebody on a course in their mind that it's, you know, affected you for the next 20 years of your life. Right. I remember it all the time because I see my kids growing up and I go, okay, which one of my actions is going to affect them? Is it going to be the time where I have my head about me and I recognize when I did what was wrong? Or is it going to be the time when I lost my temper? And which one are they going to remember? And it puts a lot of stress on you to make sure that the one 
definitely overpowers the other. And there's there's some good lessons I've learned. I've seen a lot of really good progress in how my kids react to me when I, you have to get after them. Like, I mean, it's just, you've got to teach them the difference between right and wrong. But one of the things that helps a lot is when you go back. So if you have to have a difficult conversation, you have to get after them. You have to go back and show them you still love them because it creates a, it creates a balance in their brain. And they go, oh, you know, it's not, it's not like I've heard and, you know, perhaps experienced a few times where it's like, you know, I'm spanking you. This hurts me more than it hurts you. It's like, I doubt that, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but when, when you go back, you get after them, you have to have this difficult conversation. Then you go back and you just sit with them for a minute, give them a hug if they will. And just, have a different kind of conversation for a minute because the, it balances their brain. If, if all they see is the negative, then that's what they're going to grow up under. They're going to see that. At least that's the way my, my mind works. Cause I noticed when I didn't do that, that they would get more aggressive with their siblings and, and there was just, it's just negative. They were feeling a lot of pain and there was no way that they could deal with that. And you're the bringer of that pain into their world. You ought to be the source of their comfort. And and then it makes a huge difference. They're excited to see. You. I mean, all my kids are still little enough that they're excited to see me anyway. But but they're getting older, and I start to notice the relationship has to change. It's not just oh, dad's here. It's so awesome. I mean, all the little kids do that. But now my oldest is ten almost, and. He doesn't come to the door when I come home anymore. I have to go find him. And I have to be kind and I have to, you know, put a little more effort into that relationship because it's not natural. You know, five, six-year-old kids I see and they just bust through the door trying to grab on your legs. And and uh, so learning that transition is going to be interesting. And when I get teenagers, I watch people who have teenagers and it's just even more. So we're still learning that, but, but I would like more than anything to have the kind of relationship with my kids as they go into the teenage years where they know that they can talk to me because I don't want them to feel like, well, you know, dad goes to church. He has his things that he does and they're way above anything I'm interested in. You know, he's in a different realm. It's like, no, no, I'm right here. This is where I am. And I want to come home from work. I work sometimes out of town, you know, through the week like we do. But when I'm home, I want to be home, which is why we're out here at 630 in the morning because they're still sleeping. You know, I don't want to waste time with them. But I think about, <clears throat> I think about that all the time, stuff like that. Or it's just like, how do I... How do I spend time with them? And, and what am I doing? One of the, um, one of the things that I kind of heard, but it's like, you know, but until somebody can put it into words is it's like kids experience love, no different from attention Mm. and attention, love in their mind are the same thing. And I find myself like, sometimes I'll, I'll go, Logan likes to play Legos. So I'll go sit down with him for Legos and he's like, Hey, let's build something. And I'm like, yeah, you build something and I'll pick up my phone. I'm sitting on the floor with him telling myself I'm spending time with you <laughs> and I'm just on TikTok or Instagram and I catch myself going, how is this more important than him? Yeah. How are these little stupid videos or this YouTube video or whatever more important than this kid? And that, that's you know, what you're saying is, yeah, you've got to go to work. You know, we've got to go make money. We've got to go do what right. we need to do. But when you come home, it's like that, that focus back into what's actually important. And it's, well, it's my future. It's your future. It's kind of cool that our futures have a face and a name. Yeah. And, you know, the time that we have, this one thing that I've noticed is waiting for my kids to grow up took forever. My oldest couple. 
and now it's just just going by so quick. I mean, and so you miss out on these opportunities that, you know, the Lego playing. I love playing Legos, and yet that's something I haven't done very much because, you know, when I get home, like today, I've got a whole bunch of yard work to do and and stuff, but I take them out there. They they need to learn to work too, mm-hmm. and that's and it's important that that attention can come multiple ways. So when I'm driving the tractor, smoothing stuff out, I'll have one on my lap, lap or something that, and that's time. But also just the ability to like go to the dump, take a couple in the truck, and just talk to them. And of course, they're not going to want to talk about the things that you're interested in, the things in your life, but. You know, that's pretty selfish to just say, I only have conversations I'm interested in, <laughs> you know, I mean, you got these kids and they're interested in Minecraft and they're interested in stuff. So you have whatever conversation they need to have. And then every once in a while you can insert life lessons they can think about. See someone at the pump that may be struggling. You can have a conversation with them or, you know, dad, why did you go do that? Why did you? Why'd you talk to that person? He's a stranger. Don't you know about strangers? It's like I had that happen the other day. Well, don't you know about stranger danger? I'm like, well, yeah, but you have to communicate with the outside world. So this is how you do it safely. And those kind of lessons are are really important because at the end of the day, you know, you can't control your your kids. You're not going to control the choices they make. They may not choose the same religion that I grew up under and the one that I'm living. That's fine. But at the very least, they need to be productive members of society. So what can I do to help them be successful and to care about people? Because the fundamentals of nearly every religion on the face of the planet is the golden rule. So can I teach that somehow without getting lost in a lot of stuff they don't understand yet? And yet be open enough that when they ask the questions, then you're prepared. And those moments, they'll slip by. If you're not prepared to have the conversations that need to be had, they'll just slip right by and you hang out on your phone doing whatever. And you don't even, you're not aware enough to see the need. It's like having lots of little kids because I have lots of little ones. You have the opportunity to see why a little baby's crying. And you can learn a lot by just watching them. But if you just get frustrated and freak out because, you know, it's one in the morning and you can't sleep and you got to drive eight hours tomorrow and this kid's just crying, crying, crying. Well, you have an opportunity to do one of two things. You can either get mad and... You know, I mean, it's a little baby. What are you going to do? Beat it? I mean, I guess some people do, but most of the time you just end out storming around trying to figure out it gets to sleep. But if you, I learned this little thing. If you watch them, a lot of times you can tell, oh, it, something's wrong with his stomach. You know, he maybe has a stomach ache or he's tugging on his ears. Maybe he has a little earache or, or, you know, Let's get him a drink of water. Maybe maybe he's just thirsty. It's like this little meme. It's hard to do meme over voice, but it just shows this baby and his face is all strained and everything. It's like, you know, all I need is a back scratch and they just keep giving me a binky. You know, like you got to be observant and you got to say, okay, what? This is a person. It's a little person. And, they're new to this body and they're trying to figure out how to live in this world and you're a hundred percent responsible for their care. Now it'd be, it would be good to watch them and learn from them because it's not all about you. And uh, that's just, it's just really good lessons. I mean, man, I, I thoroughly enjoyed Raising kids, I would say that's probably one of my favorite things to do. And yet, I mean, no doubt the most stressful thing. I mean, like it's terribly uncomfortable, but but watching 
people grow, it's it's in likeness to how we're growing. From someone's perspective, I'm still a baby. And, you know, babies have physical needs and emotional needs that are that they can't do anything about. They don't know how to. We're in a different place, you know. We can grab a hammer and scratch our own back, you know. We can, you know, work on our emotions. But, but what about when we don't know how? We don't have the tools. And from someone's perspective, perhaps, you know, person who's way far advanced or even God's perspective, it's like, well, you know, you got to learn. You got to learn how to do this. I'll help you. I'll bless you with some comfort right now because you're too naive to know what you're actually doing to yourself. And, you know, there's a principle that you see with your kids and you see with yourself and it makes it really hard to teach it because you, you're still learning it. It's like if, if someone treats you poorly and you get angry, you actually have a problem because you reacted negatively. That's a hard lesson to learn because you know, you're justified. That person took advantage of you. That person robbed you like on the job or, you know, they took hundred thousand dollars from you, whatever you're justified in being a jerk. Are you, you know, there's a difference between reacting and responding. And this is true with your kids. It's true with your spouse. It's true with workmates, whatever. And if, if you can maintain a clear head, you have the world. I mean, I think I quote, I don't remember the whole poem, but I quote that line from Rudyard Kipling's If, the first line. If you can keep your head when all about are losing theirs. And then I just take the very end of it. The world is yours. And what's more, you'll be a man, my son. And he has this whole lineup of ifs, if you do this, if you do this. But I just remember that first line all the time. The whole poem is is fabulous. But if I can keep my head when everyone else is losing theirs, it puts you in a position where you can really, you can do your work with your kids. I mean, you get your kids that are screaming for no reason that you can see. Or like I say, no no good reason. Mm -hmm. And if you just scream right back at them, but you're just now you fall into that level. But if you can maintain, you know, I like to think my emotions like a rock in the middle of the ocean and the waves beat against it. It's just there. It's always there. And to learn to be stable so that you're not just blown about by whatever happens. There's so much power in that. You realize that your situations, the the things that are happening around you and the way other people treat you has no control over you if you don't let it. I'm Victor Frankl in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, powerful line where he says, you know, he's a prisoner, concentration camp in Germany, he's a Jewish doctor. And but he has this line where he says, They can take everything from you except your right to react in any given situation. And that's the difference between life and death. Is you could always tell when someone was about to die because they gave up. But when you saw someone continually reacting positively, you knew there was a chance for hope. And so here we are. We're in this world to learn some of these great lessons right now. And no one can take away from you the opportunity or the responsibility to respond correctly. People can treat you terribly. People get in your face and yell at you and 
say all kinds of dirty things and nasty and hurt your feelings. But you don't have to respond that way. You don't have to do like. And you know what kills an argument faster than anything I've ever found? My ability to shut my mouth. Like that shuts down an argument quickly. Well, it's not fun anymore. (laughs) I mean, yeah, you're going to get beat up a bit, but you really can't stop it. It's like that old story of the lady who said, uh, she goes to a wise man and says, I can't figure out, I'm going to paraphrase it, I can't figure out what to do with my husband. He's just rude to me all the time. We get in all these massive arguments, and uh, I don't know what to do. And the wise man says, oh, this is really easy. Whenever your husband starts arguing, then just take a drink of water. As long as he's arguing, just keep drinking water. And she's like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) But she did it. And she comes back and she's like, it worked. I don't understand how water, you know, something I'm doing is affecting what he's doing. And he says, oh, you're not affecting him at all other than your mouth full of water and you you can't respond. So then the argument's over. And I thought, that's the level of control that we have over ourselves. How am I going to, because, you know, your anger gets the better of you in, in a spousal argument or a workplace argument or even even with your kids. You know, we're a little more tender with our kids most of the time, but it gets the better of you. And, you know, you say a lot of things that can never be unsaid. And they have an effect on people. But if you just think something, but you have the control to never say it, no damage done. You can deal with your own mind. You can purge that out. But once it's said, it's like trying to catch feathers once you've let them go in the wind. It's just impossible. So like this idea that you're saying, this this ability to be able to detach... Is that kind of what you're saying with like your kids? You'll be able to basically detach from the emotion of the moment, looking back and, and being able to look at them being like, I'm, I'm emotionally not involved. So, so, so like this idea of, it's one of the leadership lessons to be able to detach. We're, we're fathers, so we're leaders. Um, it's, it's the same idea as if you take your head up, and take a couple of deep breaths and start looking around like your peripheral. I, I do it on the job or like when I'm in the shop or, or things like that, because you'll start to get overwhelmed with what's going on. And you start like, like I'm going to go do this thing, but this thing's calling me. And, and there, there's times the boys kind of think it's funny, but I have some like four stairs in the shop and I'll climb up on top of those stairs and go into an elevated position in the shop and I take a couple of big deep breaths and I look around and I go, okay, this thing needs to be done first. And it's almost like you, you're able to detach from right down into the, the moment. And, uh, and then you can start to make the judgment calls that, that they need to be made instead of this emotional response of my kid's crying. So I'm going to smack him and his back just needs to be scratched. <laughs> right. And, and it almost allows you to see certain things that you couldn't see before. Yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. I've never thought of that as like emotional detachment, but really that's what it is. Cause you want to be, you want to be, you know, intimately acquainted with the details of your leadership responsibilities so that you understand the complexity. But once you go through that complexity and, absorb it and understand it, then you can stand back and say, the answer is actually pretty simple. And this is what you're talking about. Even on the job, I do it all the time, doing a big job. And you're, it's like you're a painter painting a magnificent portrait and you're two inches from it and you're focusing on the hand of Mona Lisa or whatever. And you're just trying to get it perfect. Well, every once in a while, you got to put down your brush, stand back and look at the whole thing. And make sure that it's in proportion, that it's correct. I mean, and I'm, I'm a plumber, so I don't have that same thing. But, but I still have to stand back 
and use my whatever visionary skills that I have to see the project as a whole and then go, oh, wow, we're focusing over here, but we've got a leak mm-hmm. that I didn't know about. Let's, let's go take care of the problem. And with our family, it's especially important because you can get sucked in. And then you see somebody that you just didn't notice. The ability to just stop talking, sit and ponder for a minute and look at what you have to do is tremendous. You can't just go, go, go all the time unless you have an incredible sense of what needs to be done. You have to stop. You have to look at your, you you know, really just take it all in perspective. Your perspective changes, which is why having a partner like a spouse is super important because you can ask them what their perspective is and say, how are you seeing this? And then they tell you and you go, there's details I didn't pick up on. This is really important that I remember to listen to those who also feel the responsibility for family in business. You often have people you're working with. It's like the best leaders are the ones that sit around the table with their coworkers or, and start asking them how things are going. And I've learned a little lesson where it's best to keep your opinion for the last, because you really don't have all the information until you listen to everyone else in the room. But so often it's like, well, I'm the leader, so this is what I think. Boom. Now, if you're truly a leader and they know that you know what you're talking about, who's going to contradict you then? Like, okay, we got a situation. What's the best way to deal with this? Start going around the room. And you get to the end and say, okay. I mean, you see it on, on. Uh, I can bring up Star Trek, you know, because I watched tons of that when I was a kid. But you see they get in a you know, in a tight spot and the captain turns and says options and everyone starts giving options just like that. And he picks one and goes with it. Like now that's a good leader. That's someone who's willing to listen to his team. The best person isn't the person who knows the most. It's the person who has the best people around him because you're not going to be able to know everything. I mean, you know, you look around and see people who are successful they have they have a team that is that's with them. I just did a uh, went out of town and did a boiler for Michael, you know, our uncle, and he's younger than me, but he and he's just a real go getter, just a just a great guy to work with. But he hired me because I know more than him in some situations, and. Is really good because he's the boss. He's the one who's funding this whole thing, and he's asking questions the whole time. And he's, you know, hey, come look at this. Let's make sure we're doing this right. This is a little out of my league, and and I'm showing him how to do the things he doesn't know how to do, the electrical part of things and that. And it was just, it was really neat because I was working my tail off, and yet what I was really there for was was my mind, not to be the leader. He was clearly the boss. But to give input and say, this is, this is the right way to do it. And, and so looking at that, I go, this is why people who aren't in a leadership role necessarily, not everyone can't be the boss, but you can have a profound impact on the outcome if you do your job. Like we own our own companies, so we understand we have to be leaders. But not everything in life are we the boss of. And... You know, we have to be able to to do the best we can with those who are our leaders. And nothing will gain you more, oh, the word is respect from your leader than when they see you do your job and provide relevant information. It means you're engaged. It means you're involved. And so for anyone who's looking, going, yeah, you're talking about leadership, well, that is good leadership because you may not be the top boss, but there's always somebody looking up to you. And if you're the lowest on the totem pole, or really the highest because the most important's at the bottom, but but anyway, 
if you, that's, you know, I get, I get carried away, but, but really if you're the bottom, then your responsibility is just to learn, learn as much as you can. You know, you have the most time usually read, study, watch those around you, find out what you're good at and just go for it. And I'll tell you what, you'll watch yourself switch situations and change your your status within a company or a family or a church organization or whatever when you become valuable because you're you have actual knowledge on the subject matter. I mean what does I wish I could remember who maybe it was a Marcus Aurelius. You know, the value of someone is worth nothing if he knows nothing on the subject matter. Like it's just I think he even says the value of 10,000 men is worth nothing if they know nothing. (laughs) So that's something we can do. And really, for me, the takeaway for the things that I've learned the most in my life is there's nothing that you can't do if you set your mind to it. Like, I need to lose weight. Well, it isn't everyone else's fault (laughs) that I'm the way I am. That's just, you know, it's no one else's fault. But it's, I have the responsibility to do something about it. And I can, even though, man, we can find a thousand excuses. Why not do? Oh, you know, I I do this all the time. It's just human nature. And I catch myself and I'm ashamed for it. But it's like, well, my back hurts, so I can't work out. It's like, well, you know, there's things you could do about that. You know, you know, it doesn't hurt you very much. You, you could do yoga. You could, you know, maybe, you know, not eat cheeseburgers anymore or, or limit it to once a week or something. You know, there's things you can do to help. And when you do it, you feel better. You know you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And But the point is, is that we're in control. Our circumstances However, they may shape us and give us opportunity. We control the outcome. Circumstances happen. We react. That's going to determine whether we are learning or not. It's like I read another quote. If you focus on the hurt that a circumstance brings, you'll never see the lesson. And everything in life is meant to teach us something. It doesn't happen randomly. There's always a lesson to learn. The hardest, <clears throat> the hardest point for me of of these these things, and and maybe you've experienced this, is is uh, like standing back and being the leader from behind, or you know, you're the low man or the high man on the totem pole, whatever. Um, is setting aside that ego is so damaging to me. That's one of my personal, like, hardest things to try to overcome because I'll be, I'll be in an argument with my wife or not even an argument, but she'll be, she'll be telling me something about what's going on. And my ego immediately is like, I got the, I got the the solution. Like, why don't you just listen to me? (laughs) Like, I can tell exactly what you need to fix (laughs) without any of the relevant information, without anything that I, I, like, I know nothing. I know nothing about the situation at all. And yet my ego says, oh, I want to, I want to be the guy on top. I want to tell you exactly how to fix your life. And, uh, I want you to listen to me and it's not about them anymore. It's almost like about filling this little, this little adrenaline dopamine kick inside of us. I did it not to go off on a tangent, but I, I did a post on Instagram the other day just cause I've, I find myself doing it and it's, and I see everybody else doing it, abusing other people for the dopamine hit that they give them. And it's so frustrating, especially when, when you start to try to open your eyes and say, how is this affecting other people? Um, and, and my whole, my whole point was just like, we'll call people or, or just to see what they'll say or use them as a therapist, not to, not to help them at all, not to get any relevant information, not even to have a conversation to try to organize our mind just simply so they can give us a compliment or we throw up 
some post on Instagram, Facebook that has no meaning whatsoever and no value to anybody. Just praying somebody gives us a comment and a like so that we can get a dopamine hit. It's like that is the highest point of mental manipulation for our own good. Anyways, that's a tangent. <laughs> that's probably a rabbit hole that we didn't need to go down. <laughs> it's actually very relevant because when we are trying to learn to be good leaders, our ego has to go. Like, like this isn't about you. I, I like the quote that says it's not a bit. It's not about you, but it's all on you. Yeah. And there, there's a good difference between there. Right. What gets complicated, and again, this could be a rabbit hole. What gets complicated is when you start talking about the superego. That's the ego that sacrifices you for some kind of gain that other people can't see. Like, well, you know, I'm, I'm just really bad at stuff. You know, I, you, it's the appearance of false humility. But in the end, it's all about that dopamine hit or a compliment or, you know, you see girls do it in a simple way all the time. And I don't mean to just single out girls, but you see this more common. I'm so fat. Oh no, you're not. You're so skinny. You know what I mean? Super ego. Yeah. You're, you're essential. And that's, that's a simple way to do it, but we do it far more complex where it's this, this game of, chess mental chess that you play where you play something thinking that that's going to make someone do something else and and in the end you're always trying to gain the upper hand and you're willing to sacrifice your own image for something that's more valuable which is you know they say you say well i'm i'm terrible at this they're like oh actually you're pretty good well that's what you wanted you wanted the compliment and it's too obvious for you to say, I'm really good at this. That just makes you look like a jerk or, you know, whatever. So we have to really watch that because that ego takes over and it goes, it goes pretty deep. And I like this. Jordan Peterson talks about this all the time. And this, this idea, and he quotes Nietzsche, I think, or maybe it's Jung, but he says, you know, the depths, you know, the human heart has roots that goes all the way to hell. Mm -hmm. So when you're in a situation that is difficult for you, somebody's screaming at you or someone is really getting on your nerves, when you have a minute, you can sit and meditate on why you felt the way you felt. And you have to be brutally honest with yourself. And start to trace those roots down to their darkest place that you can comprehend. And go, oh boy, I need to do better. Like, the way I responded was because of this problem. And it's so hidden and shrouded in all these barriers that we put up to protect this ego or trauma or whatever that's buried deep within us that's that we don't want people to know about it's a dirty little secret whatever and i don't mean just things that we do but the way that we are the evil that resides in every person you have to be strong enough to acknowledge it and to stand up against it within yourself and this is really the story of, you know, the hero's journey. I mean, you see it in all these popular movies that have meaning. Star Wars. and Like every story ever. Lord of the Rings. I mean, really, Lord of the Rings is a good one because you have Frodo and he has to, you know, Frodo has to do this. Aragorn has to do this. Boromir has to do this. All these characters have to address the evil that resides within their own heart. And the more evil tendencies you have, the greater power the ring has to corrupt you. And then you have a character like Sam, who doesn't... He only had it for a short period of the book, but he was... Him and... 
you could say Bilbo, were the only ones who were willing to give up the ring voluntarily. Because there was no evil in their heart. They were not capable of great damage, but there was no evil in their heart. And and yet there's also, you know, Jordan Peterson talks about, you know, we have to be lions that don't hurt, mm-hmm. basically. Well, in the New Testament, the Savior says the same thing. But people confuse the word. But in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And I looked up that word meek, because that's translated into English. And the, the original, well, not the original, but the Greek and Aramaic word, as close as they can get, is more like gentle. Be gentle. Now, to be gentle doesn't mean that you're just weak. Because you to be gentle, like if you hold a baby kitten, you know darn good and well that you have the power to take that thing's life. So you be gentle. Because you know your own strength. So these moments in our life where we have to address our own evil side helps us ascertain our strength so that we know how to respond correctly. And like I have some power in my words, especially when I get angry. And I think it might run in our family, but when I get angry, it's like you have the a razor knife and you can just precisely cut exactly where you know it's going to hurt the worst. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have to be a big cut, just has to hurt. And when you realize you have that power, then you, you have to stop yourself and say, what's really my motive for doing this? Am I trying to help this person? Or am I just going to get them where it hurts? And, you know, that's all self. That has nothing to do with what anybody else is doing. That's you. You know, and meditation is, is, is fantastic. When I drive long distances, I'll put away the music. I'll put away my stuff for a bit. And even books on tape or anything good that I'm doing. And I'll just think on how I felt in a situation and why, and just really dive into it so that I understand. So the next time I might be just a little better because we don't just get better one day. It's a process. And these, you know, this, this ego, it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one, but it affects nearly everything that we do in our life how we interact with our kids, our spouses, our coworkers, our, I mean, you name it, your relationships. And what's really more important than our relationships? And I think that most, most religions would agree, but we really only take two things with us when we die. We take who we are and we take those that we love, those relationships. And everything else is material and ends when we die. So, I don't know. I can go on and on and on. So, <clears throat> no, you're good. It's all good. It's all good stuff. <laughs> you're, as, I, as I'm listening to you talk, you're just like, I, I have like a little thought and I'm like, I don't even want to cut him off. I'll just keep letting him going <laughs> because it's good stuff, you know? It's stuff that people, it's stuff that I think about. It's stuff I need to be reminded about, you know, how's the ego, how, you know, that, you know, cause you do have special abilities, even like you're saying to our, you know, you can cut people like a razor knife. I can do it. I can do it very well. And, and, uh, maybe it was learned from some of my older brothers doing it to me. <laughs> Possibly. But, um, this idea that you went into of, of uh, the, uh, being a lion, so the the saying is, it's better to be a warrior in a garden, in a garden than a gardener in a war, right? And for so long, I remember thinking uh, this idea of Jesus Christ, this meek, mild, lowly, humble, 
human being. And I couldn't wrap my head around it because it was, it was this idea. Like I had to give up my masculinity to become like Christ. Like you're always taught, you know, grown up, you need to be more like Christ. What's Christ like until I started reading what they call him. It's like the Prince of peace. He's going to come riding in on a chariot of fire. He's a warrior. He's a warrior with the capability to say, I can like do anything I need to do. Like, yeah, like, I would rather be friends, maybe put it this way, I'd rather be friends and have, have a close companionship with somebody that I know could kill me at any moment, but chooses to embrace me. Because they're an asset, far more than a liability. Yeah. Just that. You know, it's just like, well, a wise man once said, let me show you the meekness of Jesus. And then he opened up the scriptures and he read about him throwing the money changers out of the temple. Because that was a man who had power. Now, you know, how do you have confidence in a God, a being of immense power that could take your life at a moment, and we just have to have confidence that he he will choose not to? This is where the other side starts rolling in. Because in order for us to have confidence in him, we have to believe that he's just. Because if we do wrong, you know, most of the time we get our own consequences that come on. But if we do wrong and he has to be just, we get to the end of this life and repentance is no longer an option. He's going to be just. So how does that affect our life with our family? Because if they feel like, like, well, I'll just break it down even simpler. The difference between Jesus and Zeus is Zeus was, he was a respecter of persons. He was not just. And so when we, when we read about him, we're like, that'd be terrible because people were always in fear that they would just happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and their life would be taken for no reason. But God in his infinite wisdom, he is that person. And we're, he wants us as his children to be like that with those that we have around us. Because, like I say, that warrior in the garden quote, there's so much strength in knowing what to do in a situation. And yet, I'll tell you what, a warrior in a garden never became a warrior by gardening. He had to he had to have some training. He had to have some learning along the way to learn how to control himself. Because really, what good is a warrior that isn't in perfect control? I mean, you have berserkers and they're scary. But well they're reckless and they end up killing their whole team. Yeah. That's, that's right. Happens. And, and, and you notice the same thing, like we can even bring it back to being a dad. What happens if you're a husband and a father who has no control over his emotions? Well, usually you end up in prison or divorce or, 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 you know, yeah, worse, you know, your kids hate you. They have no respect for you. They don't want to talk to you anymore because you can't, you can't even (laughs) help them at all because that ego's right in the way. And all you care about is you. Well, most of the world's problems could be solved if every person took responsibility for their own actions and recognized that what they do, how they respond, affects people. And if you respond correctly, then there's positive consequences. It's why the golden rule has survived. I mean, there's an old... uh, song we used to sing in our children's choir growing up and the the quote i won't sing it because that's terrible be unto others kind and true and always unto others do as you'd have others do to you and we would sing it around over and over and over but really that's the basic the basic point of humanity is to treat others like you'd like to be treated but that requires control on your part 
Because if you let your emotions get away with you, then you lose control. And then who's in control? Like, just whim? This is why murders happen in rage. This is why husbands beat their wives in rage. Because they're not in control. People can say all they want about what religion does or doesn't do for a person. But true religion, when applied to the self, gives you the tools necessary to say, I want to better myself. And a religion, all that it is, is a way to learn this. And so, without having to get into all that detail, because you can go to these conferences like you did, and they're they're these people who have accomplished things. And they have incredible uh, insight. And Jordan Peterson, for instance, for some people, he has incredible insight to help them gain the mastery over self. So, what... This is a question I asked someone the other day. Who do you want to be? It's really the thought process you have to have when in difficult situations. Who do I want to be? And maintain that and say, because that's the stepping back, looking at the overall picture and saying, does this course that I'm on, this burst of anger or whatever I'm out of control on or you know, I have this addiction problem or whatever. Does this take me to the person I want to be or does this take me away? And we have to be honest. We can't get lost in, well, I just don't have the same gifts and talents other people have and I don't have the ability to do. It's like, no, you have everything that everyone's, that anyone else has ever had. You really have. Uh, there's a quote. Well, it's a poem. I, I don't know how much longer you want to go on. We can go as long as you want. But Kids are starting to wake up. But. We, could, we could end on this if we wanted. And talk about it for a minute. But it's not very long. But it's by... Uh, ooh, I don't have who it's by. But we'll figure that out. <laughs> I can Google it too. It's called Equipment. And I'll just read it here so I don't get it wrong. Figure it out for yourself, my lad. You've all that the greatest of men have had. Two arms, two hands, two eggs, two legs, two eyes, and a brain to use if you would be wise. With this equipment, they all began. So start for the top. And say, I can. Look them over, the wise and the great. They take their food from a common plate. And similar knives and forks they use. With similar laces they tie their shoes. The world considers them brave and smart. But you've all they had when they made their start. You can triumph and come to skill. You can be great if only you will. You're well equipped for what fight you choose. You have legs and arms and a brain to use. And the man who has risen great deeds to do began his life with no more than you. You are the handicap you must face. You are the one who must choose your place. You must say where you want to go, how much you will study the truth to know. God has equipped you for life, but he lets you decide what you want to be. Courage must come from the soul within. The man must furnish the will to win. So figure it out for yourself, my lad. You were born with all that the great have had. With their equipment, they all began. Get a hold of yourself and say, I can. I think that's a great place to stop. <laughs> that's um, kind of the summary of what we've been talking about. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Um, this is kind of fun. Yeah. Let's do this again. Yeah. Anytime. The next little bit. And uh, thanks for 
spending, <laughs> getting up early and coming over for an hour. It's great. Talking about something good that we can think about for the rest of the day. Yeah. So, yeah. Appreciate the opportunity. No, it, uh, it's fun. It's real good to get together and talk and do what we need to do. So, I agree. Sounds great. Okay, well, thank you. <laughs>